Paul. Turn with me to Psalm 115. Take a slight detour tonight. Psalm 115. See if the mic works tonight. Psalm 115. Out of respect for the Word of God, would you please stand? Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Ye are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth has he given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you for standing. Please be seated. Let us pray again. Our Father, we thank you again now for the word which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Shine upon us. Strengthen us. Help us. Encourage us. Lord, above all, just give us what we need. Feed us tonight and help us to worship you, O our God. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The most blessed experience for the people of God is to have their God's presence. The worst experience for the people of God is to think that their God is at a distance. The desire 
of the people of God, the saints of God, is to see God glorified everywhere. At least that should be our desire. It should never, never, never become of us to want to steal God's glory, God's honor in any way. We must remember that the worship of God the wrong way and the worshiping of idols are underhanded ways of stealing God's glory. Can I just say that one more time? We must remember that the worship of God the wrong way and the worshiping of idols are underhanded ways of stealing God's glory. This was a charge given to the children of Israel. Listen to it. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain? Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt? that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt. And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest said not, where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Wherefore, I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children would I plead. For pass over the isles of Chittim, and see, and send unto Kedar, and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. Hath the nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, all ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Jeremiah chapter 2. What a charge to have. A robbing God of his glory. A turning the glory of God into something else and a worshiping of idols. So we see right here in the psalmist, in the psalm, by the psalmist, something very interesting. The first thought, a request for God to show forth his glory. Straight in verse 1. Notice the language. Not unto us. He starts off with a negative. Not unto us, but unto your name. Give glory. He immediately tells us who or to whom the glory belongs. It belongs to God. And God alone. Well, the word glory means something that's weighty. Something that has worthiness to it. It is to ascribe splendor, honor, 
to something. Is someone or something, we'll just say someone for right now, that has a glorious reputation. It is to be attributed to someone who is impressive. Let me say that. Someone who is impressive, significant, worthy of honor and respect. You have to also have a lifestyle to back up that honor. It was given to those in high positions. I turned my page. <clears throat> those who had high position received this honor. So when speaking of God's glory, it refers to his being or his character as well as his presence. God's being, God's character, his presence. We can see this when Moses said unto Aaron, Say unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he hath heard your murmurings. And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, listen, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. It speaks of his presence. You see something similar in Exodus 32 when it speaks of his glorious presence when Moses said unto the Lord, don't take us into the land unless you're going with us, unless your presence is going with us. Other than that, we don't want to go. Moses did not want to move through the wilderness unless God was with them. That should be our cry, shouldn't it not be? We, we don't want to move we don't want to move unless we know that your presence is with us. We want to know that God is among us because we want to see his glory. Furthermore, his name is attached to his glory. His name is attached to who he is, and therefore, he is not only worthy of honor, but deserving of honor. For this, he should have attention and a holy respect. In other words, we don't come before God any kind of way. He should have a respect. Remember Nadab and Abihu? They are no longer, right? You can't, I can't come to God any old kind of way. You don't mind me using the language that way. He is worthy of respect, and that's how we should approach the living God. He is to be honored for his character. He is to be honored for his position. He's God. He's not man. We come before him in respect and honor. He shows forth his glory. He shows forth his honor. He shows forth his worthiness. In other words, God is very impressive. We, we are not to come here to impress one another. There's one who's impressive, and that's God himself. He doesn't have to make a name for himself. He already has one. We, as human beings, sometimes we attempt to try to make a name for ourselves or try to impress others. 
sometimes we act a certain, certain, certain way, right? Because we want to be taught, we want to be thought well of. Well, God doesn't have to do any of that stuff. He's already impressive. He already has a glorious name. He doesn't have to make a name for himself. He's already perfect, so he can't get any better. And because he's perfect, he can't grow worse. He's impressive. He doesn't have to try to gain a position. He already has a position. He's already positioned. He has the highest position in the universe. He's the most high. You can't get higher than the most high. <laughs> I love that passage in Isaiah chapter 6. Say, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Well, he's already high. He's high and lifted. <laughs> he's the most high. He doesn't have to make a name for himself at all. But while God does not have to make a name for himself, he does have to uphold his reputation. He does. He must. He has to. He has to uphold his reputation, and he will always uphold his reputation, regardless of the failures of men. Let me just say this. Regardless of the failures of Christians, God will uphold his reputation. He has to. Remember, he abides faithful. He cannot deny himself. Cannot. <clears throat> Listen what he said of himself. Thus saith the Lord God, in the day when I chose Israel and lifted up mine hand unto the seed of the house of Jacob and made myself known unto them in the land of Egypt. Notice something. It's not because they were seeking God for years. Notice what he said. I made myself known unto them. That happens to everyone God saves. He made himself known. You didn't make yourself known to God. He already knows you. When I made myself known unto them in the land of Egypt, when I lifted up mine hand unto them, saying, I am the Lord your God, in the day that I lifted up mine hand unto them to bring them forth, out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had espied for them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. Then I said unto them, Cast ye away every man the abomination of his eyes, and defile not yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Listen carefully. But they rebelled against me and would not hearken unto me. They did not every man cast away the abomination of their eyes, that's their idols, neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury upon them to accomplish mine anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But, I love that, but I wrought for my namesake. He has a reputation to uphold. I wrought for my namesake that it should not be polluted before the heathen among whom they were and whose sight I made myself known unto them and bringing them forth out of the land of Egypt. He said, they have served idols. I'm going to pour my fury upon them, but I did something for my own namesake, not for their sake, but for my own namesake. I have a reputation to uphold, and he will uphold that reputation. So the psalmist also tells us why, why God should glorify his name. Right in verse 1, not unto us, 
we're not seeking the glory, but unto your name give glory. Why? For thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Psalmist said, for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. It's because of God's own kindness, God's own kindness, that this, this kindness, this pity that is shown to us, it's also said for truth, and that is God's faithfulness. Notice his kindness and his faithfulness like a hand and glove. It is his reliability. God is reliable. Since God is the God of truth, then he is absolutely dependable. Absolutely. In every situation, God is dependable. Now, I may not be dependable. I try to be, you know. But God is dependable in every single situation. Not only that, in every situation and under every circumstance, God is dependable as well as reliable. We can depend on him when we can rely on him. We can trust him. We can lean out all upon him at all times. It's like we say that confidence, right? The proverb, in an unfaithful man, in times of trouble, is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. It hurts. We must believe, we must believe that God is dependable. If we don't believe that, we're not going to be able to handle certain circumstances. We're not going to be, to be able to hold up in certain situations. This cry from the psalmist for God to show forth himself is so that the people of God will know God's presence and the heathen will know God's power. Show yourself, not unto us. We want to see your glory for your namesake. We want God and God alone to be glorified. Something interesting, though, look at verse 2. Here's what the psalmist says. He's speaking, notice in the plural, when he said not unto us. He didn't say me, but not unto us. But he gets to verse 2 and he said, Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? Notice, I want you to get glory. I want you to show forth your glory. Show forth your majesty. Why? For your truth, your kindness, and your faithfulness. And why should the heathen say, Where is their God? Those are, listen, those are valid questions. That's a valid question. Unbelievers ask that all the time. Where is, the, where is your God when you're coming apart under pressure? Where is God? Sometimes, depending on the circumstance, and I'm not saying uh, it doesn't happen, but sometimes, depending on the circumstance, we act like God doesn't exist. I'm just talking to a friend of mine just who, who, lost his, who lost his mom and saying, what, what should I, I do? And just simple. I said, you know what? We don't come out and say, but in certain circumstances, we act as though God has dementia. Somehow he's forgotten. He's forgotten about my situation. And sometimes we get to the point with all the people in the world, why would God care or be concerned about my situation? 
Oh, God is very concerned about his people's situation. He's very involved with his people's situation. It's a question from the heathens. And it's an insulting question. Where is God? Where is your God? Psalmist, I like it. Heathen comment regarding God. This can be a distressing situation for the people of God. Listen, when it seems as though you don't have any help. The enemy mocks and ridicules. He boasts by saying, where is your God? Where is he? If you had a God, if he was truly real, if he was truly near, why would you be going through this? Maybe you've asked yourself the same question. And I'd have to come from the outside. We have to believe God is reliable and dependable or we'll ask such questions. The psalmist understood that for Israel to come under the displeasure of God and to be overtaken by the enemy would bring reproach and mockery. Ultimately, to the name of God. Moses understood this. Moses even understood this. When praying to God, when God would say, I'm going to wipe them out, Moses said, how about your name? What would the heathens say? What would the Egyptians say? Your name is on the line. You know what they would say? You cannot rescue them. You cannot keep them. That's what they would say. Your name on the line. That's what's happening in the text right here. Heathen is saying, where is now? Where is now? They're God. Where is he? Oh, my friend. God will uphold his reputation at all costs. Doesn't have to jump when we say jump. Because he won't. But God will continue on and on to uphold his glorious name. When life difficulties come with crushing circumstances, the loss of a loved one, the loss of property, the loss of health, heartbreaking tragedies, ask, do we not? Where's God in all of this? Have you ever heard that question? Have you been there? Where's God? You've heard me say before, I say it again. God is where he's always been. And God is where he's always, he will always be on his throne. He's not going anywhere. It's a heartbreaking situation at times. That was Job's question, where is God? He wanted to know, where is God? I looked before me, behind me, to the right, to the left. I can't find him anywhere. Where is he? Good question. He had lost his children, talking about Job, 10 of them. He had lost his business. He lost his source of income. He lost it all. And then his wife comes along and says, listen, listen, listen. He's going to still trust God. Why don't you give this stuff up? Yeah, tight situations bring out what we really are. Difficulties bring out what we really are. Difficulties, listen, not only it helps us to see our real view of God. Difficulties. It shows what we really are. Job 
for 31 chapters, Job and his friends are dialoguing about his condition, right? Elihu comes on the scene for six chapters, and then God breaks on the scene. And when God breaks on the scene, he begins to talk to Job about creation. Have you ever no pause and noticed that? Now his friends are condemning him or charging him with some kind of guilt or some type of unfaithfulness. This is why these things are happening to you, Job. You have to have done something wrong. Well, we all have done something wrong. And then God breaks on the scene out of nowhere. He shows up and says, okay, Job, stand up like a man. Tighten your belt. Put your hands up. Stand up straight. I got a few questions I need to ask you. Right? 83 questions, by the way. No answer from Job except, I'm vile. That's all I had to say. That's it. But God comes on the scene after all that has happened to Job and starts talking to him about creation. What does this have to do with anything? I've lost my children. I've lost my livestock. I'm almost about to lose my wife. I've lost my health. And you're talking about creation? Where were you when I, you know, hung this <laughs> Have you considered a, wait a joke, have you considered a peacock? The what? <laughs> Who gave the peacock the beautiful feathers, Job? What? How about the ostrich, you know? It has eggs, don't even know, realize it's going to step on. Job, have you considered the ostrich? The ostrich? It's fascinating. I have health issues. I've lost my children. I've lost everything. I have three friends who are miserable comforters. And you're talking to me about creation? <laughs> uh, I love it. What God is doing with Job is what he does with us. I'm God and you're not. I don't owe you any explanation. Not only so, not only so, God uses these things at the same time for our sanctification. He does. He does. You don't know what you need for your sanctification as well as you think, and I don't know what I need for mine. I know we need the Son. I know we need the Spirit. I know we need the Word, and I know we need the people of God. But I don't know what particular providence I need my sanctification. I don't. God used that in Job's life to show Job I am God and God alone. I'm all you need. Let me say it to you again like I've said it before. You don't realize that God is all you need until God is all you have. So that's the heathens, the heathens question. I'm glad there's an answer. The answer right there is in verse 3. But our God is in heaven. The question is, where is their God? Here's the answer. Our God is in heaven, and he does whatsoever he pleases. The answer is, God is indeed sovereign. Here's the answer to the question. God is in the heavens. The Jews understood that the heavens describe the place from which God rules. That's the answer to the question. They are saying, listen, you want to know where our God is? He's still ruling. 
regardless of our situation. He's still ruling. They understood this. He sits in the heaven. He rides upon the heavens. He dwells in the heaven, and his throne is in heaven. Talking about our God. His enthronement is in the heavens, but it does not mean it's detached from earth. Are you still with me? His throne is in heaven, and he rules from the heavens as well as in the heavens, but it's not detached from here on earth. It's answering. You also answer by saying that our God, if I can say it this way, is the sovereign ruler over all. He does whatever he pleases. It's right there in the text. He does whatever he pleases. It's interesting. He didn't say he does whatever we please. He said he does whatsoever he pleases. Listen to a psalm that's parallel to the Psalm 135. Whatsoever the Lord please, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and all deep places. Can we just sum summarize that? Everywhere. He does what he pleases. He's not asking permission from anyone. He's not saying, Clarence, what do you think I should do about this? <laughs> Mount Zion, excuse me for a moment. What do you think I should do in this situation? Can you counsel me a little bit? Should I or should I not? That's not what he's doing. He does whatsoever he pleases. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Did you hear that? We can shout for glory because we can say whatever is happening, God is the mastermind still on the throne. And I used to, I know we, we say this sometimes. I, I've heard it a lot coming, coming up, and I think I probably said it myself. You know, we say, if God said it, you've heard that, right? I believe it. That settles it, right? That does sound really good. God said it, I believe it. That settles it. If God said it, that settles it. Whether you believe it or not. <laughs> it settles it because God said it. His word is forever settled in heaven. He does whatsoever he pleases. And his word shall not return void. Nebuchadnezzar understood that the hard way. He should know that heaven rules forever. <clears throat> and here's what Daniel said. This is one point of this. Said this right here, and all the inhabitants of the earth. Did you hear the word all in there? Listen, listen again. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. That should humble us right there. All the inhabitants of the earth. Yeah, God loves his people. But in comparison to the almighty, all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none could stay his hand. That means to say, don't you do that. None could stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? He said, none. The psalmist answered by saying, our God is sovereign. He does what it is. So ever he pleases. There's another aspect to this. 
Not, not only this, listen, look, listen to the heathen's idols. I didn't even give you the title. That are God's glory and the heathen's idols. That's what we talk about. God's glory and the heathen's idol. Listen to verse 4. Their idols, after saying, after answering the question and saying that our God is sovereign, he rules, he still rules from his throne, and he does whatsoever he pleases, then there's this contrast. Their idols, that's our God, now their idols. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. Notice he doesn't give any description of God other than he's kind, he's faithful, he rules, and he's glorious. And now he gives this picture of the heathen's idols. You can see them, silver and gold. He said, there are the works of men, they are the work of men's hands. In other words, they are made. <laughs> I don't know how a, a God, uh, let me see how I can put this. An idol or a God someone makes can save the person. That's the height of insanity. You are bowing down, and we'll see a picture of that. You are bowing down to something you made and say, rescue me. It should be saying, you rescue me because you made me. Some images, some of the heathens' images were made of stone, solid metal, or molded from clay. Most were made of carved wood covered with a thin layer of gold or silver and adorned with precious stones and elegant clothing. A dressed-up idol. People believe that a statue contained the personality of the God it represented. In essence, this was the God manifested among them. Let me see if I put it another way. The Assyrians, the Assyrians had priests that used to whisper in the ears of their idols. You think people would do something like that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We don't realize how much or how damaged we are from the fall. Whisper in the ears of the idols to make it alive. That's insanity. See, if the eyes were not open, it couldn't see. You got the cob, the eyes open. <laughs> if the mouth was not open, it couldn't eat or drink. So you had to carve it open. This is insanity. We will worship anything. Anything. I know that's hard sometimes for us to believe here on the West. We said, no, we won't do such a thing. Oh, yes, we will. We worship all kinds of stuff. We think this is just the people in, in India or the lady who married the, cob the cobra. I know we chuckle, y'all. 2,000 people showed up for that wedding. That's insane. That's insanity. But I'm saying to you, we will worship anything because we're made to worship. That's why. If we don't worship the true and living God, we will find something to worship. You better believe it. It may be ourselves, another human being, celebrity, but we will worship. <sighs> Listen to the description God gives 
I said of this depravity. They that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit, and they are their own witnesses. They see not, know, or know that they may be ashamed. Who hath formed a god or molten or graven image that is profitable for nothing? That's God saying that. Who would do such a thing? Behold, all his fellows shall be ashamed, and the workmen, they are all of men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up, yet they shall fear, and they shall be ashamed together. The smith with the tongs, both worketh in the coals, and fashioneth it with hammers. Can you see him? Making that idol. And worketh it with the strength of his arms. Yea, he is hungry, and his strength faileth. He drinketh no water, and is faint. What God? God is just kind of using mockery here. The carpenter stretches out his rule. He mocketh it out with a line. He's measuring. He fitteth it with plane with planes, and he mocketh it out with a compass, and maketh it after the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. He heweth him down cedars, and taketh the cypress and the oak which he strengtheneth for himself among the trees of the forest. He planteth an ash, and the rain doth nourish it. Then, ash tree that is, then shall it be for a man to burn. You notice, part of the tree is burned. For he will take thereof and warm himself. Use some for firewood. Yea, he kindleth it and baketh bread. Use it even for cooking. He maketh a God and worshipeth it. He maketh it a graven image and falleth down thereto. He burneth pot thereof in the fire. With pot thereof he eateth flesh. He roasteth roast and is satisfied. Yea, he warmeth himself and saith, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the residue thereof he maketh a God, even his graven image. He falleth down unto it and worshipeth it and prayeth unto it and saith, Deliver me. For thou art my God. God is not finished. He said, they have not known nor understood. For he has shut their eyes that they cannot see, and their hearts that they cannot understand. And none considereth in his heart, neither is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burnt part of it in the fire. Yea, also I have baked bread upon the coals thereof. I have roasted flesh and eaten it. And shall I make the residue thereof an abomination? Shall I fall down to the stock of a tree? He said, he blinded. He feedeth on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside. <sighs> Dear people, listen. We become what we worship. We become what we worship. What we worship, we will follow suit after. No matter what it is. Doesn't matter what it is. You and I are pursuing something. And we are worshiping something. Listen, all the time. You cannot get away from it. Young or old, you are worshiping something or someone. We are either worshiping the true and living God, listen, or idols. That's it. 
There's nothing else to worship, by the way. True and living God or idols. <sighs> These are what we made and what someone else has made. But we worship none the less. So the psalmist cry out, saying they have mouth, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have noses, but they can't smell. They have hands, but they cannot handle. And they have legs, but they cannot walk. And they have a throat, but they can't talk. They are dead. Or put, like I think it was Micah said to Jaden, not dead, just never been made alive or never been alive. We, serve, we worship things that really don't matter and the one that truly matters, we tend to worship very little. And the Lord help us with such a thing. Forgive us with such a thing. The glory of Israel, listen, the glory of Israel was not their military power. Neither is the United States of America. The glory of Israel was not their family structure. It's not what they per se did as a family. That wasn't the glory of Israel. The glory of Israel was not their sacrificial system. That was not the glory of Israel. The glory of Israel was not their fine kingly line or their unique precise priesthood. That was not the glory of Israel. The glory of Israel was not their forefathers. No, the glory of Israel was their God. That was the glory of Israel. And we don't want Ichabod written on the, the glory has departed. It was the glory of their God, and that's the same thing for you and me. That's the same thing for us. Glory is not our military. The glory is not our family structure. It is God and God alone. This is to be the desire of every congregation calling on the name of Jesus Christ. The glory, the glory, the glory of God is what we want. And we don't want the glory of God. What do we want? What do we want? When we gather, do we want to meet with God? I say it's not a ball game. It's a family reunion where we meet with our Father. What do we want? Other than that great glory. We want to see him honored. We want to see him respected. We want to see him praised. We want to know something of his power and his presence when we gather. Oh, we're gathering in vain. We might as well do something else. That's what we want. That's what every congregation should want. We want to say when we're all said and done, God has met with us and we met with him. Ah. We are not saying bring glory to Mount Zion. Bring glory to the preacher. Bring glory to the people. No, no, we are saying bring glory to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bring glory. Well, where do we see this glory of God? We surely see it in the world, right? But I think we see it in a special place. We see the fullness of God's glory in Jesus Christ. In Him, 
dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We see this glory when he who is the word was made flesh and dwelt and walked among men. We see that glory. He ate with them. He talked with them. He touched them. Can you imagine that? Jesus the Christ, God manifested in human flesh, walked with men. They saw him. They heard him. We see his glory in his miracle working ministry. He did things that doctors could not do. He gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, right? Life to the dead. He even delivered the oppressed and the possessed. We see his glory. We see his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration when he pulled back the curtain of his flesh, when Moses and Elijah appeared. The glory of Jesus Christ, the voice of the Father from heaven. This is my son, hear ye him, his glory. But we also see his glory on Calvary, don't we? I know we think of glory afterwards. I know we think of glory afterwards. But I think we could see his glory on Calvary. We see his glory when the thorns were pressed into his head because it was for us. We see his glory. Sometimes we, we just look at Calvary as a gory sight, but I'm saying to you, Calvary is a glorious sight. We see his glory. We see his glory when the nails were driven into his hands because they were for us. We see his glory when the nails were driven into his feet because they were for us. And we see his glory when the spear pierced his side because it was for us. We see his glory. We see his glory when he hung his head and died. We see his glory. And my brothers and sisters, do we not see his glory on resurrection day? Resurrection day when death could no longer hold him and the grave could no longer keep him. We see his glory. Jesus shows forth God's glory. He is the express image of his person, as Hebrews says, he being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purge, cleanse our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, we see his glory. And right now, he's all glorious. The king is in all his beauty as he sits at the father's right hand. He is glorious. And when he rips open the heavens and come down, we will see him in full glory. It'll be a sight we will never forget. It will be a sight to behold. It will be lights, camera, action. All eyes will be fixed on him. That's going to be a glorious day. That's going to be a glorious day. We shall see a glory that shall never fade away. We are going to see God in all of his majesty, God in all of his splendor. We are going to see Jesus the Christ 
Are you waiting on that day? He's coming in glory. Those of you who know him, it's going to be an exciting day. Those of you who don't know him, if you still are in that state when he comes, it's going to be a horrible day. It's going to be a horrible day. That's when people run and say rocks fall on us, but there will be no rocks to fall. Caves hide us, but there will be no place to hide. Jesus is coming back in his glory. Oh, to trust him now and to welcome him when he comes in his glory. That's what we want. We want trust in the king now. So when he comes in his glory, we shall welcome him, that glorious and great Savior who's done all things well. Well, we see God's glory in his son. We see God's glory also in providence, right? In our day-to-day lives, remember providence is none other than God's sovereignty in action. That's all it is. God's sovereignty in action. God's rule in action. We don't see God's sovereignty anywhere else. You don't see it in heaven because you're not in heaven. You read about it in heaven in reading the scriptures, but we see his sovereignty in one place, right here on earth. This is where we get the experience of it right here on earth. This is the realm we live in now. And this is the realm we're dealing with now currently. We know God is sovereign over the weather. We know God is sovereign over the animal kingdom. We know God is sovereign over sicknesses and diseases. We know God is sovereign over death and life. He is sovereign over plants and so forth. He's even sovereign over the economy. You agree with that? (laughs) The economy going down. It's going, God is sovereign even over the economy. He is sovereign over national affairs. And he is sovereign over salvation. Put in just in one little thing. God is sovereign everywhere. He has a universal sovereignty. There is no place out of his reach. Oh, I love it. I have this thing in my mind that Abraham Kuyper has said. He said, there's no, no, it's not one square inch of the entire universe where Jesus Christ does not say, this is mine. He's sovereign over everything. So the answer to the question, where is God? On one hand, on the throne. On the other hand, everywhere. Everywhere. What we worship What we worship will tell what we truly believe and who we truly are. Did you hear that? What we worship will tell what we truly believe and what we truly are. We want to worship the living God, the one who made heaven and earth, and his glorious son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, and the blessed spirit, who comes and reveals Christ the sinners. We want to worship our triune God because he's worthy, plus he's the only God. Everything else falls into the category of idolatry. We don't worship mommy and daddy. We don't worship children. We have to be careful as parents not to hold our children so tight that they become idols. Even our spouses. 
So may God in his richness strengthen us to see his glory, his honor, his majesty, and to want more of it. That should be our longing, to want more of God, not less of God, not saying, I have enough, God, I don't need any more. No, we want more. We want everything you will give us in this life. Paul said to be filled with the fullness of God. And I have to tell you, I don't know what that means, but I shall want it. I don't know what all that means, but give it to me. Filled with the fullness of God. Probably some of the things he said prior to that. But we want everything. We want to see Jesus in all of his splendor. We want to know something more of that precious blood that washes us clean and of God's free forgiveness that's in his sight. And when we experience that, right, we shout for glory. When we continue to experience that, we shout for glory. How many times have your heart been melted hearing about again what Jesus has done for you? Bring you to tears. Sometimes it sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Being honest. Would you wash me from all of my filthiness? Because I was filthy. But now I'm clean. Not because I washed myself. But because I've been washed by another. I've been covered by another. Naked before God. But now clothed before God. But the clothing did not come out of my closet. It came out of his closet. Covered forever. Because of that, we can cry. Not unto us. Not unto us, O Lord. But to your name. Give all the glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this evening hour. We thank you that there's none like you and that you should indeed receive all of the glory. Oh, forgive us, forgive us, forgive us for stealing in any way your glory, your praise, your honor. Lord, may we not be a people hesitant to say, what I have has come from above. What I've been given has come from the Most High. May we not be ashamed to tell people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ that they can have the same thing. Oh, God in heaven, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your mercies to us. Thank you that you are glorious and you demonstrated that glory in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the nails on our behalf. Help us to worship him because he is worthy. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. All the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. God be with you till we meet again.